Good afternoon, you are listening to Resonance 104.4 FM and this is Art Then and Now with me, your host, Anna Gammons. This is the show where we explore art from the past and art from the present to understand how we as humans have expressed ourselves through time. Now, the theme this week is art makes art and I think the statement probably has many meanings, but the main point I wanted to make is that one of the best things about art is its fluidity and how visual arts can bleed into the performing arts and how many different types of art can be combined in different ways. Different art forms are often inextricably linked. For example, have you ever watched something on TV, a film, for example, and then wanted to draw your own characters afterwards or heard music and wanted to paint the sounds you hear? Well, my live guest today is an expert at taking visual arts and translating them into her musical compositions. Helen Caddick, welcome to the Resonance Studio. Hi, Anna. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. How are you doing today? Yeah, really well, thank you. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. So as I mentioned, Helen uses art as inspiration for her music. So let's start from the beginning. How did you become a composer? Well, it actually started when I studied at Goldsmiths. I hadn't, I had played musical instruments. I played piano and violin when I was growing up, but I'd never really been introduced to the idea of trying to work out ideas and coming up with my own things. And um, I had this incredibly inspiring composition teacher called Melanie Dakin, who sadly passed away a couple of years ago. Um, and she was just so enthusiastic about anything I took in. She would just go bananas about it everything. It's a huge difference when you've got an enthusiastic teacher, isn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. And I realised that I just found my home. It was totally what I was about. I loved it. It came very, very naturally to me. And um, I just pursued it from there, really. So I've been doing it for 30 years. Amazing. <laughs> and you said you trained goldsmiths. I did, right? yeah, so, I did. And when was that? When did you begin to study music? Oh, gosh, I think I graduated in 1990, so a long time, right. and long then time ago. Ever since then, it was just, it's what you've been doing, and yes. you love it still. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> yeah. So do you think there's an obvious connection between visual art and music? I think, I think there is. I think all the arts tap into something within us that taps into our emotions more than many other things. And um, I think for me, not every single piece of visual arts art gets me but if I go into an exhibition and there's one piece that really resonates for me that's a success to me you know Mm. there'll always be something that will really get me that will stay with me that will spark ideas and there definitely are um pieces of art that I see where I will automatically hear music. God, that's amazing. So, it's, is it synesthesia syndrome where you see colours uh, with words and you've almost got it? I don't. I wouldn't like to even guess what the word is for that, but that's amazing. Hearing sounds when you look at artwork. Amazing. Yeah, it is. There is. I know that some people do have that condition. I mean, I've spoken to people where they've said that hearing a middle C gives them the note, uh, gives them the colour red, and different things like that. I don't think it's like that with me, but for um, certain colours, really give me instrumentation like yellow always gives me violins and blue always gives me clarinets and red always gives me trumpets so that is really fascinating i'll just base things around that but i'll always be thinking about um projects and pieces of music from a very um global point of view i won't just be thinking about the music i'll be thinking about it from all kinds of different angles Mm. 
Yeah, interesting as well that that's the primary the primary colours as well. I wonder whether there's something really visceral about those colours that, mm. that really appeals to you. That's so interesting. Right, yeah. let's get into playing some of your gorgeous music. We've got one of your pieces. It's called Bright Planet, and then Helen is going to explain a little bit about what this piece means. So here is Gun Reborn from her Bright Planet composition. That was a section. Sorry, that was a section from Gun Reborn. Helen, talk us through Bright Planet and the composition uh, in its entirety and what there's behind the movement. Okay, Bright Planet came about um, because I was commissioned by the Canty Aquarium Ensemble by director Alex Calden to write a piece. He was looking for a piece that would include flugelhorn because (laughs) there isn't much (laughs) material written for flugelhorn. And I'm a bit like a magpie gather lots of ideas, keep a rolling list of of things that I might return to. And I had read an article about this astonishing piece of art by Mexican artist Pedro Reyes called um, Palace Porpistolas, where he'd taken 1,527 guns used in drug crimes in Mexico, remoulded them into shovels with which to plant 1,527 trees. Oh, my goodness. How moving, how incredible is that? And it just utterly inspired me, that idea Mm. that out of devastation and death could come hope. And and that was the beginning of the work. So in the way that um, I chose the instrumentation, I chose the trumpet to be the gun, which metamorphoses into its heavier form of the shovel portrayed Mm. by the flugelhorn, the mellower, bigger instrument, and the piano to be the hammering of the metal, and the violin to be the myriad of emotions felt by the people affected by the drug crimes because I'd read that um, some mothers in Mexico had been forced into selling drugs and then from prison were using their one-day phone call to ring their children to tell them how to cook dinner. Oh, goodness me. And being a mum myself, it just really moved me. Yeah, that's going to get you, isn't it? Totally. (laughs) I mean, so so that's the story behind these kind of three movements. And as we progress through the three movements, it does become you know there's there's a heavier beat it becomes a bit more um vivacious doesn't it which we're going to play something uh in a minute that is going to well I'm going to show that to you in a second but presumably different instruments represent those different things as you said is that you know were you told kind of what instruments that you wanted to use or did you really apart from the flugelhorn or did you really kind of hear the sounds when you heard that story um i was just asked to include flugelhorn so mm-hmm. otherwise it was left very open and um, those instruments just worked so well together because they gave me the colours that I wanted to work with. Mm. And the violin just portrays those emotions so well. You know, yeah. I think strings particularly have that ability. I mean, I'd, I'd always read that John Barry, when he trained, 
he um, got a lot of his training writing for the band in Egypt, the brass band in Egypt. Mm. And it wasn't till later in life that he discovered the emotional power that strings have. And yeah. for me, it just always works really well to portray emotion to include a string instrument of some sort. Mm. No, I absolutely agree with you. And the, the layers of sound you've got as well work absolutely beautifully too. What I want to know what the title, uh, what was behind the title Bright Planet as well? Because, I mean, that says a lot, doesn't it? I think it's just that feeling in this day and age, I think, when we're surrounded by concerns about the environment, global warming that feeling of hope, that there's always got to be hope, that there's got to be a solution that people can make a change, that we all can make a change and come together. And that's what I was epitomising in that piece. It's a story of hope, isn't it? Yeah. Very much so. All right, well, let's... Oh, no, I want to ask you quickly. You performed <laughs> it live, didn't you? I did, I did. Um, it was performed at Turner Contemporary oh, and okay. for their um, initially in January of uh, 2015 and then for their fifth birthday celebrations. And interestingly, it was also performed at the Islington Town Hall because I've worked in the past with Michael Head and the Strands on his Tommy the Weather and the Magical World of the Strands albums. And he heard about this piece because it was being performed at Turner and he asked yeah. if the musicians would play it as his support act. Oh, my goodness. For his gig at Islington Town Hall, which... I was really oh, God, excited so about, uh, but also incredibly nervous about because <laughs> I had no idea how what a contemporary classical piece, how it would be received by mm. a pop audience. But they were so respectful, I think, because mm. they knew that I'd worked with Mick and John Head in the past. Mm. He introduced me and then I was able to talk to the audience about the mm. context of the work yeah. and they enjoyed it so it just shows you know any kind of music oh, totally. can be appreciated by everybody and i think the meaning behind it is so is so undeniable as well you you can't really um you know shy away from the beauty and the power of what you're trying to convey and the story behind it too so i think there's probably a, a level of respect that you, you know everyone can kind of have for that sort of story and the movement as well so right this is now we're playing bright planet clip th this is our second clip and it gets a little bit more What's the word? Uh, things start moving a lot more in this <laughs> in this uh, in this clip. sound of the you know there's a guns breaking down mm, isn't it and that yeah, emotion yeah. is laid over the top so beautifully all right now working our way through helen's portfolio the next project we want to talk about is haze which was 2016 helen tell us about haze because this has got quite an amazing story as well yeah i was um asked by um turner contemporary to create a work inspired by turner and um i was very lucky i got the funding from the arts council to enable that to happen um and at the time, I was thinking, oh, gosh, I, I don't know how I 
would react to Turner's work because I immediately was thinking of the great big grand masters at National Gallery. Yeah, those big oil paintings. Yeah. Sure, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and um, I initially got sent through um, tiny thumbprints of the paintings that were going to be in the exhibition and I leafed through them all and I had opportunity to go to Provence to see the exhibition in X before it came to Margate and I was utterly delighted to discover that there were these very delicate beautiful watercolours amongst the works that were going to be shown mm. and it was those that really really drew me in mm. and um what I found fascinating was because I had no concept of the size of them until I'd seen them in Provence yeah of course was that most of them um were all very very tiny mm. tiny tiny little paintings but they just spoke absolute volumes to me they were they were just astonishing mm. and interestingly one of the only one of them is an oil painting a tiny little one um which i had no idea was not going to come to margate i saw it in provence but that was very much part of the narrative because i there were about 20 that i could have easily have written music to because i was sure. just so <laughs> utterly inspired by I all of Turner's it work is very powerful isn't it oh it's just astonishing i mean yeah. i of course totally fell in love with it you know the passion and emotion in his work is just phenomenal absolutely and uh, sorry no please carry on <laughs> um, so what i did was there were i was still quite open-minded when i went to provence i'd reacted to some of the paintings as these tiny thumbnail postage sized um reproductions of them um but left my notebook behind when i went to provence and right 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 what i found astonishing was when I came back from Provence the melodies and ideas that I'd heard in my head in Provence in that gallery mm. in the way that I'd reacted to particular paintings when I brought them home realised with complete astonishment that they matched how I'd reacted to them oh my goodness here and so oh, wow that's amazing it was a true response that you yeah. had then and something you found something in them that was yeah you know, permanent that's really quite amazing yeah and I and I think if you find an idea that's really tenacious you think okay it really wants to be written I'll go with it yeah and that gives you the confidence <laughs> you know, and almost the permission as well to carry yeah. on with the idea too and of course Turner's work is a, is a lot about you know color mm, light mm. and these things were really important to you absolutely as well with writing these Absolutely. I mean, infusing the light in my work and I really wanted to give the audience the feeling as if they'd stepped into the artworks because I I felt um, I really wanted visually impaired people to listen to my music and see the paintings mm. in their mind's eye. That had been my hope. And interestingly, um, Ian Worrell, the curator of the exhibition, said to me that on hearing the music I'd written, even before he knew what paintings I'd chosen, he knew instinctively what ones I'd picked. Oh, my goodness. And that's I, incredible. I found that really fascinating. <laughs> yeah, Because he knows is. his work so wow. well, Turner's work. That is amazing. And, of course, you... I mean, right, let, let's play Haze One, and then we're going to... This is the first movement from Helen's composition, and then I want to talk a little bit about the story behind yeah, what's yeah. going on. All right, so here is the first movement of Haze.
All right, Helen, tell us what's going on. What's the story here? Well, the five paintings that I chose, um, it begin with Blue Moonlight of Yellow Sands, which Turner painted between 1824 to 1828. So it's the calm before the journey. Mm. And again, that story and that image of a man in a sailing boat at sea or one figure in a boat at sea that is timeless Mm -hmm. was also why I went for these paintings rather than paintings that showed the science of the age, which I know Turner was fascinated with. Mm. Um, So the journey begins, a sailing boat off Deal is the second painting and the journey begins. And then we begin to hit rougher waters, hit a storm, and then finally we have the most beautiful sunset. So Mm. the paintings um, are blooming, like, as I said, a sailing boat off Deal, a boat and a red boy in a rough sea that he painted in 1830, Storm off the East Coast from 1835 and then Sunset over the Sea, they painted between 1840 and 1845. So it spans about 20 years, that's, the paintings. That's amazing. I love that. And I, as, I find it difficult as well. You were asked to compose something before you'd seen the exhibition. And so, of course, that becomes really, really difficult to, you know, how did, did you say yes, mm. thinking that you'd, you'd hope that the inspiration came or did you oh, just know I, instinctively? I leapt at the chance. I mean, I, I had so thoroughly enjoyed creating Bright Planet inspired by Pedro Reyes. And mm. I, it, and it's just taking a leap of faith, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You've always got to push yourself. And I think, I think what I found really interesting as well was seeing the work in different galleries because you get such a different sense mm. of the work in different spaces. And Turner Contemporary is the most gorgeous gallery mm. ever with most stunning views over the sea and the light and the way the work is presented there is so beautiful. And seeing it in other spaces, it just takes on a different feel. Totally. Light is so important, both within yeah. the painting and, of course, within the setting as well. Absolutely. And I, I think what was difficult in Provence was that there were other people going around, people on phones, people chatting, yeah. other noise. But I still feel fine that I can switch off mm. and totally focus and stay focused. I mean, that's a talent in itself, isn't it? I, I find it hard <laughs> to think without distraction. But, yeah. I, you know, when something is all consuming like that, then, mm. you know, you're having a response to something that's quite amazing. I love the idea that it's timeless. It's about the human um, need, need to explore. Yes, absolutely. absolutely. And I yeah. think that's really important. We're going to play um, this, a clip from the second movement of Haze Now too. Here we are. This is where the journey starts to... <laughs> that so talk me through your choice of instruments for this piece as well and then we're going to jump quickly to there's a there's a part in this piece a little bit further on that things get really menacing which I also want to play to so talk me through this this you know second movement yeah so um well I had Turner's dying words were apparently the sun is god and because um there'd been lots of scientific discoveries at the time and he was housed in Somerset House, Mm. which was the Royal Academy of Arts, along with all the scientists. So he used to sit and chat about art all the time. Mm. And because he said that all colour comes from a light source, 
I wanted the piano to be the sun, to be in the centre of the ensemble, and then to have the colours of the instruments to be radiating out from the sun. Oh, I love it. <laughs> so clever. So again, you know, the clarinet, like I was saying earlier, was the blues and the violin was the yellows mm-hmm. and um, the trumpet was that man in the boat. Mm at sea being lashed from all sides and trying to stay on course mm-hmm. which in one of Turner's paintings in Storm Off the East Coast you can see that he's fragmented you know because the sea is almost swallowing yeah. him up but yeah, he's yeah, yeah. still resolute in his journey you know in his mm. spirit I love that you've created the you've you've you know you've used the color and texture from Turner's work and you've created layering instruments mm. in that way, which is absolutely mm. phenomenal. I'm going to play the end of the movement too because, as I said, it, things really kick up in this section, and I want I want to hear what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> All right, hang on. All right, Helen, talk us through what's going on. It feels like a shipwreck of some kind. (laughs) (laughs) Something's happening at sea. (laughs) Well, that is, again, the storm and the um, trumpeter trying to stay upright, be that man in that boat, not get swallowed by the sea. And and that is what I absolutely love about the elements that, you know, we think we conquer everything, but the sea is master Mm -hmm. out there. And um, there are moments in there that we experience out at sea where there's that dead calm but you know that there's this horrible ominous atmosphere behind Mm -hmm. it and something is brewing so there are moments in there where everything drops out but we've just got a seagull right at the top and then it begins to build and Mm -hmm. and you could hear the melodies getting totally fragmented in there the melody trying to complete but taking forever to get there mm. because it's just being stopped at yeah. every... And feeling slightly unpredictable. Yes. And that makes you feel on edge as well. Yeah. Very, very clever. Right, I'm going to play the end of the third movement um, because this is where things come to some sort of resolution. Yeah. <laughs> I could talk to you for hours about that piece of music. It's absolutely phenomenal. But we do have to move on because we want to talk about Amphora, which is the third piece we're going to talk about today. It is your most recent finished piece, is that right? And it has a very rich and a very beautiful story behind it, Mm. which I think our listeners would love to hear about. So talk us through Amphora and then we're going to play some clips. Okay. Um, I was, again, I was asked to write a piece inspired by the artist Jean Arp, who I had never heard of, never heard of. And... 
just totally fell in love with him and his work. He was a um, Dadaist and he um, created art and poetry, which I found absolutely fascinating. Um, some Dadaist nonsense type poems with words picked up random and put together into poetry and others about his wife, Sophie mm. Toiberop. And it was their love and their relationship that really, really got to me. And he was, um, he openly said that he was influenced by her clear thinking and approach. And I had no words by Sophie Toiber at the time. So it was setting, um, I chose to set poems by Jean Arp. And, um, but I used, because Sophie Toiber had had um, love and dance training wanted to have her within the work somehow. Mm -hmm. So um, I had a soprano singing Jean Arp's words mm. and I had dancer Kamala Devam dancing as Sophie Teuber with the most beautiful costume made by Swiss couturier Martina Trotman, which was created to um, echo Arp's sculptures so that in silhouette they would cast shadows of certain sculptures by Arp mm. that I had used as inspiration in the music. Amazing. So you're telling your story sort of love and, and, you know, loss as well. And it's that journey too. But um, there was one thing that was really, really interesting when we talk about, because so Sophie is, is the voice we hear, essentially, but it isn't her voice, is it's it? It's not her voice, and no. And that's interesting. Yeah, it's not her voice. It's because all the words are his words. Mm. So, um, yeah, I... I was seeing her through his eyes right yeah and that is a great lead-in to the clip we have got to play for you now so this is art is a fruit from the composition amphora art is a fruit that grows in man like a fruit on a plant or a child in its mother's wish we could play longer but we're running out of time <laughs> oh my goodness I love that what was your thinking behind the title Amphora as well because this too has a really sort of um profound meaning yeah it it's um Arp coined it as a celestial being an object but a celestial being and for me that's what composing is about because mm. it it comes from I know not where it just sort of comes through me as if I'm a vessel mm. and I put my ideas down on paper much like all artists you know I'm sure all artists would have that similar experience and at the time when I chose that title I didn't realize that Arp had actually painted a work called Infinite Amphora or that Sophie Toiber herself mm had created a very early work called Amphora. Amazing. And there's lots of things in their, um, both their thinking, where they see work from yesterday being connected somehow to the present and mm. tomorrow. Yeah. So there's, again, all these threads of thinking running through my work that Absolutely. connects it all. Well, this is another thing as well, because there's a whole performance element to this too. This is an opera, right? Mm. So how did this all come together as well, all these lines of thinking and all these different facets of, you know, artistic influence as well you've got you've got dancers you've got singers you've got you know the musicians yeah well the musicians are Canty Quorum who I've worked with they are absolutely outstanding they're amazing relatively new UK ensemble um and the idea of the dance was because of Sophie Teuber's dance training with Rudolf Laban when she was young mm. um and the costume was I wanted this idea because after Sophie Teuber died um 
Arp said that he felt they'd lived in a dream, mm. but that he could still see her after death and they lived in reality. And that was the absolute starting point for me for the work because I wanted to have um, these very heavy silhouettes on the wall as if that was the dream Sophie dancing with the mm. real Sophie that we could see in Carmela Dave Arm wearing the costume. And at the same time, Katie Crompton, the soprano, mm. singing Arp's words. So it all tied together. And what was really amazing was that when Katie was performing, she was heavily pregnant. Oh, so when goodness. she's singing... There's a whole other element to that too. Art is a fruit. You know, it, it all comes together. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. Right. I want to hear what you're working on at the moment as well, because you're currently working on a, another opera. Is that right? I am, yeah. Um Again, because of Amphora, after I'd written it, I realised in hindsight that I'd been seeing Sophie Toiber through Arp's eyes as a dreamlike character. And I wanted to get to know her as an artist and woman in her own right. Mm. And then I discovered that letters had been released um, by her family that she'd written. And I thought, oh, my gosh, that would be amazing to use some of her words mm. To form a verbatim libretto along with words by people that knew her. So that's what I'm using as my nucleus for starting to write new opera. And that's I've, so exciting. About um, Sophie in her own right as well, which yes, is amazing. Yeah. And, and also to shine more of a light on their relationship and how they worked as a couple, mm. which I find fascinating. Absolutely. And um, PRS Foundation have given me some funding to begin the writing of the work, which is massively exciting that is so exciting oh my goodness there's so much that you're doing i want to know where can listeners go to find out more about you more about your work absolutely and listen to these beautiful pieces sure well i've got my work on Bandcamp, so you can go on helencaddickbandcamp.com and i've also got a website www.helencaddick.com so you can follow me there or on facebook and definitely Twitter. follow what helen's up to she's incredibly talented as you've just heard thank you so much helen you're for talking welcome. to me today <laughs> that is unfortunately all we've got time for today i feel like we could have played more and more and listened to helen worked for hours but thank you for listening to art then and now with me anna gammons and i will see you next week at the same time of 3 30 at resonance 104.4 fm have a lovely week thank you.